how's the interview going so far, you think, Paul? So far, I like it. It feels like an intervention, but it's fun. <laughs> cool. Brunch. Hit it, boys. This is a very fun episode, and we're going to kick it off by saying, What up, Sylvia? What up, Sylvia? Keep going in med school. You're doing a great job. We hear great things about all the stuff you're doing, and we're happy. I just heard that you took a massive test. Whoa! So, uh, congratulations on that. Hope the results are great. We sure you killed it. Uh, Thanks for listening to to this podcast. We love you. Let's Let's keep it going with an episode of Brunch. Hit it, boys! Another day in February, another, another just more murky times. What have you been doing to clamp the damp? I got to tell you, I've just been like totally beaten down over the past week or so. It's murky weather, man. It's, I mean, I've been under the weather, literally Ooh. and you know, figuratively. I've been sick, and yeah. I, don't, I don't usually get the S word, Yeah, uh, but I've been pretty sick. Work has been insane. Mm. Uh, it's just, man, I've just been like, cr- like chronically tired. You've been, uh, oh, I've been chronically tired for a while. You've been uh, being a baby about being sick? No. I've, really? Uh, yeah, I've been fighting through it. Are um, you okay when you have a cold? I, yeah, like, I mean, I don't, I'm not running at 100% or whatever, but I'm not like, oh, I've got a cold, feel bad for me. So I don't, I don't like to get into the women be like blank, <laughs> men be like blank. Well, women but- be like but I'm going to handle this sickness. Right, yes. I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated by how differently men and women handle colds. Because, I, I mean, it's obviously something that every person gets a cold at some point in their life. And in my experience, I'm not trying to generalize, but I am completely generalizing here. Uh, women continue to function. And in, like, me, if I get a cold, I don't know... I'm astonished anyone expects anything from me. I think that women's like bodies beat them up more though. Like they they like train them for light sicknesses more than guys do. Ladies, how you <laughs> feel about text like, one? I think if text you, in one if you're saying, uh, "Are you with me?" As somebody grew up in a who grew up in a household with only women, same like. I what? No, I had you a, have dad. a dad. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, no, like like cramps. Yeah, they'll kill you. My mom used to wake up in the middle of the night with like awful cramps, and it would just be like the most devastating thing in the world. Cool podcast, you know? But like, it would be devastating for me because I'd be like, "Damn, I can I can't say anything. I can't like I can be like, ooh, that looks like it sucks.' But like, can't offer any words of encouragement there. See, I was more like. They handle this well. I don't. And that's it. But I think that... Uh, I, I wasn't, my, I wasn't like, I should point, be more like them. No, my was, greater point is that they've been trained, I think. Okay. They're more... They're tougher. Very cool. Well, as we're trying to figure out how to deal with this weather and looking forward to sunnier times, I'll tell you, I just can't wait till July 24th through 26th when we're on Martha's Vineyard. In Martha's Vineyard, on oh, Martha's Vineyard... Vineyard. It's something we'll discuss in this episode with Paul Samuel Dolman. That's right. The Martha's Vineyard talk continues. We got a notable Martha's Vineyard resident, Paul Samuel Dolman, author of the classic Hitchhiking with Larry David. We're going to talk to him about the vineyard. And really, I'll say that we, in this episode, we learn about Martha's Vineyard and ourselves. Oh, absolutely. I, this is a, like unlike inter- any interview we've ever had before and probably unlike any interview that we'll ever have again we still this is my favorite thing about these uh when we have guests that we can just immediately take it to a new place and that's a i mean he compliments our interviewing quite a bit and the more i think about it warranted (laughs) how many other how many other i think shows and interview in like uh interviewers immediately get their subjects to a okay we're just we let's both enter a completely new world that that i've never been in that you've never been in and we we're just there i can think of a couple but i don't know pardon my take does like the you step into our office kind sure. of thing uh, we're, we're we're just like let's find let's all find a new place together yeah i think uh you know who does that really well is the guy from hot ones 
uh, Sean Evans. Sean Evans. He's like one of the best interviewers. They've out got there. a uh, yeah. I'm, not, I'm definitely not saying on the best interview. They uh, they've got a uh, he's got a TV game show. show now. Yeah, TV game show. Good for him. That guy rules. He also like one of our biggest missed opportunities. So I think it, I don't, can't even call it a missed opportunity because he'd probably do it. But like yeah. years ago, we said there was some like ground floor yeah. uh, relationship there, right? Yeah, and yeah. like he still follows me on Twitter. Still, I, we've, I've DM'd with him a few times. That guy rules. He's the nicest person ever. Uh, well, not true because Paul Samuel Doman is the nicest yeah. person ever. Uh, this converse, that conversation was awesome, and I think like a lot of the times. We, we we are sporadic with our interviews because I think a lot of the times we keep an arm's length from interviews because we like to vibe. Yes. We like to, to share this vibe and the chemistry is sort of what this show is built on. And sometimes... When you As bring- we said last episode... Te- uh- Text one if you know what we're talking about. Text two if you just like to hear two voices talking. <laughs> right. And sometimes when you bring a third voice in, it sort of like disrupts it. Uh, but not at all this time because no. uh, he is the greatest person to just vibe with. Yes. He was. He's terrific. Uh, do you want to jump into it? Do you want to talk about We do have some movies coming up. Blumhouse season season continues with The Invisible Man. Yeah. I'm a... We do an opening day? We do an opening day in Vizzies? I don't know, man. I've just been so, like, swamped and, like I said, just beaten down that yeah. I feel like I'm falling behind. I know that it's bad movie season season, but yeah. I don't want to fall behind on that. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm a little I'm a little behind, and, and but I still have interest in I don't know how interested I am in the Invisible Man, just because they give away way too much in the trailer. I haven't seen the pre the trailer. Really, I have seen the trailer for how the... you avoid that. I don't know, man. Just not being cool. Uh, I I have seen the trailer. We just watched it for. They're doing another Candyman. Mm-hmm. I've seen. I think the second half of the Candyman, but I know that just it's uh, the original and good. Bye, bye, man. Okay. Of like you don't say this thing because if you do, it comes and it ruins your life. And it was uh, Tony Todd played the Candyman. I assume they didn't show the Candyman at all in the this trailer. I'm assuming that they will, and that it will be Tony Todd. It's a Jordan Peele type affiliated situation, so that looks interesting. You said when we watched, you're like that just looks like a lot. Yeah, it looks like a lot. I don't it know lo- what to do with that, but it's cool. I mean, it, it took place in uh, Chicago projects. And from watching the trailer, it looks like this, in addition to all the death and the stuff, it uh, looks like it deals with gentrification as well. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting spin, uh, spin to put on this uh, classic story. But all I know about The Invisible Man is that it's Elizabeth Moss, which we're looking for bounce, bo- bounce back Moss here, right? After uh, the kitchen. After the kitchen, that's correct, yeah. Right. We. Uh, this is... Uh, the, with, the, with the expression, go back to the kitchen. People say stuff like that. Why don't you stay in the kitchen? It's the this last thing the we would ever. Last thing we would ever wish upon Elizabeth Moss, uh, one of the great actors of our time. And uh, this is direct. It's directed by Lee Wanell. I've never said his name out loud. The Saw guy. Oh, the guy that did the original. I didn't Saw. know that. Yeah, and he plays the. The main man? character in Saw. Okay. You know, it's uh, oh, right. yeah, yeah, it's yeah, Dr. Yeah, Gordon yeah. and then another guy. Yeah. That other guy is the dude who wrote Saw. And I think, I could be wrong, I think that initially, much like the classic 2014 film Whiplash, it was like an originally a short film that was then expanded. So, I don't know, Moss, and we'll call him Lee, that seems like a very intriguing team. I don't know who else is in the movie, but again, like I've just been so put off it. by uh, by how much they reveal in the trailers. Yeah, like, I think I would be much more interested in this movie had they made it sort of like made me wonder. Okay. there's not a lot of wondering going into this movie because I feel like they just give away too much. Cool. Well, we're gonna check that out, and let's just give you the incredible discussion that we had. Wait, before we do that, okay. I just want to mention because we we uh, we didn't mention it with him. But it's like, this is a very full circle moment for me because uh, I found out about Hitchhiking with Larry David from you on this podcast. Cool. Because uh, a year or two ago, I just was like very much going in on one reading and two Seinfeld. I I had started reading Seinfeldia, I believe it was called. Yeah. Which is basically like the Seinfeld encyclopedia and just told the story, which was an awesome book. I would recommend that. And then from there, you immediately recommended Hitchhiking with Larry David to me. And so I went right into Hitchhiking with Larry David, which 
also a fucking fantastic book. And I'm not even just blowing smoke because this guy's on the podcast. Oh, no, we both love it. We had him on the podcast because we love the book and his vibe that he gave off in the book. So would 100% recommend that. Uh, It is a super easy book to to just breeze through. And uh, and it gave – it gives like a – he he called it what a, a love some a love song to Martha's Vineyard. We prefer the term love, love letter, letter to yes. Martha's Vineyard. It is a hundred percent a love letter to Martha's Vineyard, which is why we decided to have him on because <laughs> we're going to be Martha's Vineyard guys this summer. Right, we're trying to learn everything we can about Martha's Vineyard, and and he's terrific. I guess now that now that we've uh, said hold up for jumping in, I'll also we'll get some quick other brunch things out of the way. Uh, Earmuffs, Pete, there's some new music out there. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers put out a new song, which is, uh, which is solid. I'll continue to listen to it. I like it. Um, it has expanded. It, it has put me on a bit of like a Phoebe Bridgers, not necessarily kick, but uh, like tangent, where in hearing this song, I'm like, I'm starting to figure out some of the tricks of the Phoebe Bridgers playbook, which I don't know if is necessarily a good or a bad thing. But uh, Dirty Projectors also put out a new song this week called Overlord, and I am crazy about it. It's sung by their guitarist, Maya, I believe is her name, and it's just a beautiful song. I'm going to listen to it probably a thousand times in my life, so check out those things. I'm also going to make a playlist of just a bunch of songs that I happen to think are good, and there might be some overlap in that they're all playing... Beach Road Weekend, <laughs> July 24th through twi- 26th on Martha's Vineyard, in Martha's Vineyard. So you can check that out. And lastly, before we jump into Paul Samuel Dolman, you're a tea guy now, huh? I'm a tea guy now, yeah. Very cool. I'm, I'm, I'm very much like a basic uh, in, uh, beginner's level tea guy. Um, I'm still using tea bags. I've been told that like loose leaf and, and steeping and all that is the way to go. I believe it. Yeah. I'm pr- I've I'll never get there. gone that far. I, I've all, I'll what? get there eventually. Um, but like... I, I got a kettle. I got like tea sets. I'm into biscuits while having my tea. I just like—is that marriage story related or or inspired or is no, that just before. more like if you like tea? People who t- like Amazon, people who tried tea also tried, and then it's like biscuits are below. No, it's I think customers it's, who bought tea also bought. I I like very consciously was like I want to be a tea guy, and I want to like I want to I want to commit to being a tea guy, and I think that like. Having a having a teacup on a on a saucer with yeah. those, with some biscuits, man, that's that's a vibe, mm-hmm. and I want that vibe. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I've like I've committed to it, and I'm enjoying it, man. Because like I first started getting into it because um, like I, I was working nights, been working nights lately, working pretty late, and I've just like I hit like the feeling pretty late at night that like I would love a coffee right now, mm-hmm. but I know that if I drink a coffee, that like I'm gonna be up. Yeah. The entire night. But like coffee has like a calming effect to it. Like having a cup of coffee is calming to me. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's just like I like I like the, just like the practice. You're saying of you're still talking coffee. about coffee. Yeah. You're saying coffee can have a calming presence for you. Yeah, I know how stupid that yeah, sounds. Yeah, no, no, it, it's <laughs> interesting. Because it like j- like the practice of drinking coffee is very like calming for my mind, I guess. Yeah. Um because it allows me to sort of like like sort of uh kind of I don't want to say like wind down because that's the opposite of what coffee does for you but yeah. it, it it's like a reset. Yeah. Um so I I decided to like explore tea as an alternative to that just for like the practice of drinking something hot. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, it, it's worked for me. I like it a lot. What I like about what I find interesting about tea and I've never I don't think I've gone as far as you've gone but I've I've definitely had my stretches where I've been like okay, I'm going to go more tea and less coffee is tea has a marijuana like quality to it where there's different types that you can do for different settings like the, you know true. the expression yeah. uh, different strokes for different folks sure do it's like different teas for different me's That's, you know oh, if you I like that right if I you like want to do a uh like that you could do indica or you could do uh, sativa or whatever. You could get different things out of it. When you're drinking coffee, you're pretty much drinking coffee or if you're a total weirdo, and I have been this weirdo before, sometimes you do decaf. Yeah. But tea is more, there's like the the expectation that it does not have caffeine in it. Mm-hmm. But there are teas that do have caffeine right. in it. And they're very strong teas. And you, if you're a tea guy, 
you've probably gotten you've probably got a different T for every different me that that exists mm-hmm. and that i realize I this I've, sounds very uh andy bernard <laughs> closet full i have of me. several different kinds of teas it is funny though like you just mentioned decaf and like that would have been the easy solution to my problem sure but decaf just does not exist in my world i didn't even think about so that for weird. a it's second just so weird it, decaf is for at least in my experience when i felt like i've got a borderline addiction to coffee yeah. where i'm just so used to drinking coffee and i want to drink it every five seconds that's when you get into decaf, but tea is very interesting. You there's I do like the like the marijuana CBD sort or like marijuana. I, I think that like tea would be the CBD of that of that right. comparison, and that's what it is to me. Like I, I I wanted the the sensation or like the calming effect of of doing that at night, but not get like the quote unquote high that right. comes with with coffee. Uh, a tea that I really like, and this is bagged. You can get it anywhere, probably from your your Bigelow or what's the other big company? Nesty. No, not no, that's that's some <laughs> like Coca Cola yeah, shit, man. With Bigelow, and there's another one that's is Earl Grey like a type of? It's a type of tea, I believe. Earl right? Grey is a type. Earl, yeah, Earl Grey is a type of tea. Back in my rapping days, um, uh, a bar I, I wrote. Don't have anything recorded. Don't have anything out there, so you, you can't look for it. Uh, but I liked the lyric, I hit the club in a black tea, call me Earl Grey, because Earl Grey is a type of black tea. Yes. Because b- back in the day, I don't know if folks will remember this, uh, maybe the late, the early aughts, probably before then, it was before the, the early aughts, the late, like, 2000 through 2010, a lot of rap was about just wearing T-shirts, Right? They would just say like, "Oh, in, in my I, I slang in my white tea, I bang." Yeah, well, I mean, I, like, I mean, like a lot of like the old school rap was just about like a lot of just like I mean, I guess it's technically kind of true now, but like a lot of just like popular things in, right. in like pop culture and like fashion and stuff. There's Air Force One, sure, but there was a time that they were really focused on t-shirts, primarily white t-shirts and black t-shirts. I gotta tell you, just though, a very man. clean look. It, I somehow feel like they're kind of underrated, but like white t-shirts pop. Yes, I did a white T-shirt. It didn't look very good on me because I'm getting out of control with my weight. But I did a, uh, I went to I went to a wedding this past weekend, and the welcome party was smart, casual. Did you do white tea under a blazer or a jacket? I did white tea with a suit and white sneaks. That probably looked fucking amazing. I, I, like it was it was a, it was a very sophisticated look. This is gonna sound so fucking basic or whatever but like don't sleep on white tees like oh, it looks not. amazing with yeah. just like almost anything what we i think we've talked about this before but like white tees and jeans oh yeah unbelievable it's like, things are cliches for a reason man you know things are things are overdone for a reason that just always Throw a looks... little white tee under some layers oh yeah it's, don't have... wear a white tee under a uh, dress shirt no, 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 that's, no, definitely I, not. That's like an easy indicator of like, wow, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, I've got one look I really want to start being able to pull off. But again, I've got to, I, I've got to decrease the belly just a tad. Um, I've got a cream colored cardigan, and okay. it's got no buttons or anything. It just kind of falls on you. A very Larry Flowy. David type of thing that he would wear, and that with a white tee really, really looks good. Yeah. So. I don't think you guys are ready. We certainly weren't ready for it. I think that we knew that we were going to be speaking with an enlightened person, but this is just an incredibly thoughtful dude. Paul Samuel Dolman, we'll, uh, we'll toss it to him as he teaches us about Martha's Vineyard and ourselves. When you think Maine, you think Stephen King. When you think Martha's Vineyard, you think this next man. It's Paul Samuel Dolman author of Hitchhiking with Larry David, an accidental tourist summer of self-discovery in Martha's Vineyard, among other things. He also has a podcast called What Matters Most. I would say that he would qualify as a notable Martha's Vineyard resident. Paul, welcome. I am honored to be here, and that is the first and probably the only time in my life I'll be in the same sentence compared to Stephen King. Stephen, if you're listening, I hope you and your attorneys will be kind. We actually have several more Stephen King references coming up, so <laughs> it should be a fun time. Uh, how would you describe Martha's Vineyard? And I believe you have made it your home, correct? 
It is my summer home. I'm a migratory creature, much like the geese, who I watch. When they go south, I follow the sun. I'm currently a few blocks from the beach in a place called Anastasia Island, which is sort of like a portal in the Harry Potter series, but it's gorgeous south of St. Augustine Beach. How would I describe Martha's Vineyard? It is like no other place in the world. It is sort of idyllic. There are no traffic lights. There are no billboards. There's no corporate stores. There's like a Dairy Queen that looks like an old cabin. And they have the stop and shop for food. But other than that, it's wide open. It's pastoral. It's colonial. And it's funky. Oak Bluffs has its own funk. So has to be seen to be believed. And they're going to kill me because they don't want more people coming. Because it's quite the scene in June, July, and August. But the fall is gorgeous, too, if you want to come. Well, I'll tell you, if they don't want more people coming, they're going to hate this music festival that's coming up in July because there's going to be people flocking to that place. Great music festival, Beach Road Weekend. Tell me about that. What is it? Well, it's a. we're glad you asked, Paul. It is a music festival in its second year, I believe, on Martha's Vineyard. Do you say on or in Martha's Vineyard? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. I used to mess that one up, too. It's on, I guess, because it's an island. Okay, on Martha's Vineyard. Now, last year, it featured, I forget who, I think Phil Lesh was in the mix, which is pretty cool. So, right, so like some jam bandy type of stuff. And this week, uh, this year, they really leaned into it. Honestly, I think maybe spent a little more of that Martha's Vineyard money, if you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And they got Beck, Lake Street Dive, Nora Jones, Father John Misty to do a solo performance. And as you know, Father John Misty doesn't have a lot of dates this year. So to get Father (laughs) John Misty is a pretty big one. It also features Guster for those who lived in the 1990s. Uh, The Head and the Heart, Margot Price. There's a special guest up on the third line. And I'm sure uh, you you worked in the, the music industry, correct? I did, but don't hold it against me. And by the way, hearing this lineup, I'm getting like some cool backstage pass to this, right? Definitely. I feel okay. like you'd, I feel like you'd be able to to anyway. I've watched some interviews with you. You've got a very charming air about you, if I may say that. I feel Thank like you. you could do the same sort of thing that, that we're doing, which is just trying to speak into existence <laughs> yeah. that, all right, we're now a part of this. We will be involved in this. I also feel like if anybody spent like five, I've, we've spent like five minutes with you at this point. I feel like if anybody spent five minutes with you, they'd let you do anything you wanted. I love you guys. So here's the plan for the three of us. If we can't get the passes legit, we'll sneak in. Yeah, yeah. that would be so cool. My parents have all those stories like that. They're like, oh, game game four, the 1986 World Series or whatever. That's a bad example. They were probably older than that. But like they'll say they'll just say that, like, all you had to do was like stand by a trash can. (laughs) And then when the one guard that was assigned to the entire stadium looked away, you walked in. And I was like, well, I would get shot if I did that (laughs) these days. Well, here's the deal. One, if you get shot, the other two of us will go in. We'll have a good time. We'll dedicate it to you. And But take heart. No one has ever been shot and killed on Martha's Vineyard that I know of, but that could be your claim to fame. Well, that that I guess will bring us to an anecdote from Hitchhiking with Larry David. And we don't want to make this all about Hitchhiking with Larry David because not everybody has read it because not everybody is a smart person. I did find (laughs) it very interesting that... When you're hitchhiking, which first of all, wild could, could yeah. not even be close to me. Uh, Wait, so, quick sidebar. Would you hitchhike anywhere other than Martha's Vineyard? Mm, good question. The, in America? No, of course. Cause everybody has an AR or whatever. Shoot first, ask questions later. I have hitchhiked in Ireland, Scotland, and Switzerland in the gentler countries of Europe. But as a rule, I'm not out there like on highway seven. You know, unless okay. I decide I don't want to be here anymore, I think it might be an interesting way to go. So, and I'm sorry to, to get into a story that you probably told a million times. You're hitchhiking. Larry David, was he in the Prius at that point? No, which is interesting. He had the Subaru wagon, if I recall. I think he okay. has the Prius back in L.A. Okay. And like we know, for the for the many who have read the book and the many who hopefully will read the book, he pulled over, and that's the first time he's ever given a hitchhiker a ride. And he said, "Cop in." And should I go from there? And he did ask well, was, me an interesting question once I got in. Well, did yeah? He said, "You're not a hit. You're not. You're not a serial killer, right?" And you had like in an all-time quip said, "Even if I were, I'm on Martha's Vineyard, so I ain't working." Which <laughs> has got to be the coolest thing anyone's ever said when meeting 
probably the most intimidating presence in the world. I got very lucky that that just popped out. It shows that a lifetime of being a smartass, which most of my teachers said would never pay off, actually was, did pay off. I was just about to say, that's such like a music executive <laughs> sort of thing. I bet like like an investment banker would never make that r- remark. Yeah. No, because the investment banker would be driving like the Mercedes convertible. He'd have his own car. He wouldn't be broke. I never said he was a good investment banker. Yeah. That. Well, and uh, he wouldn't be honest either because he couldn't. He can't do Wall Street and be honest. It's like Bernie said. <laughs> pardon, pardon the attitude behind this this question, but you must be like comfortable in your own skin, and that frustrates me because I'm I'm, a, I'm an absolute nightmare of a person. Can't sleep at night. You seem like you're you're comfortable like you borderline might even have peace of mind. It's an excellent observation lad. And I've been sent here from a galaxy far away to help you. And I will get to that in a moment. Now I wasn't always comfortable in my own skin and if it's a process, but I have come to become very comfortable in my own skin and we could talk about it more later, but the big, big, big life-changing thing for me was meditation. Meditation, which if I went back in time and saw myself and said that you one day will meditate, myself from a long time ago would say two things. Well, a couple. First, he wouldn't believe it, that he would ever be a meditator. And then he would probably look at me and go, God, you look really old. What happened to us? What are, what are the cool spots of Martha's Vineyard? Oh, God, there's so many. Well, if you want social and people watching, there are two good spots. There's Egertown, like Main Street, down by the dock. That's sort of, it looks like it's out of Disney. It's quintessential New England, the white houses, the whaling things, everything. And then there's Oak Bluffs, which is funky. Now, at one time, all the African-Americans were only allowed to go there. Yeah, America, right? Yeah. White supremacist America. Not much has changed. So there's that, which is more of a funky town of color, but the races mix easily there because it's a long time. And then if those are the two places to kind of like kind of hang out, a cool spot that people watch up Island is a little place called the Chilmark store that has great pizza that I wrote about in the book. And you can sit on that porch. I've sat on that porch and talked to Bill Murray had lunch with Larry on that porch a couple times, and Harold Ramis, God bless him, he's gone, who created Ghostbusters and Groundhog Day, and also many other just regular, non-famous life forms who were just really kind. Well, we're primarily interested in the famous life forms, so <laughs> we're, we're trying to go there, see a lot of music, probably become friends with Father John Misty, which I think that that could potentially make us his first friends, and uh, really just come away changed like you, so... Sounds like Oak Bluffs. Oak Bluffs sounds like maybe mostly our speed. You kept yeah. saying funky. It made me think of maybe a little an Austin, Texas of New England. Not trying to put words in your mouth, but I like the idea of visiting the Austin, Texas of New England. Cool. And all right, so let's flip this. Why do you not feel comfortable in your skin? You're obviously you got a great voice. You're a good interviewer. You have the, enough guts to create a podcast. You reached I, out to me and said, let's do this. Of course, I said yes. It's one of my great mantras, like from the Hitchhiking <laughs> book. Or in the Jim Carrey movie, Yes Man, which wasn't Love that bad. Movie. No, it wasn't. Perhaps, perhaps, Paul, it was a poor choice of words on my part. I think the only thing that I do have is that I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm very neurotic, and uh, I, like everybody else, I'm a d- depressed, anxious person. But uh, as far as as far as letting one's freak flag fly, I know that I'm a, an eccentric, annoying person. But I like those qualities about me, and I lean into them. And I find that as I've grown, people are more drawn to, hey, this person has quirks and uh, embraces what, what's different about them. And I, I've, for most of my life, I never really struggled with that. And I think that uh, it's now becoming en vogue to, hey, if something's different about you, to actually lean into that. And being a, now, now I'm like. And I also, I also think that like, not to like jump in here and, and speak for you, but I think that you're more comfortable like appealing to people who get you than trying to appeal to people who don't get you. That is very true. That I, that Ooh. might, you know what I might, maybe I have something in common with your friend, Larry David, because <laughs> he used to, in his stand up days, he used to heckle the audience. He would tell a joke <laughs> that he knew was funny. And if they wouldn't laugh, he would scream at them because he was like, these are the wrong people. This is funny. 
you guys don't know what funny is. I like the idea of like me and Paul here teaming up to kind of like figure out what's your deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sent me that secret email that said that's what we were going to do. That's why I came on. Yes. Here we go. Uh, how's the interview going so far? You think, Paul? So far, I like it. It feels like an intervention, but it's fun. <laughs> cool. Uh, you, you're a <laughs> podcast host yourself. I wonder what it's like for you being uh, being interviewed by somebody because in Pete and I will jump on podcasts and stuff for our respective jobs or shows or what, whatever it may be. And as an asker of questions ourselves, sometimes when you're being asked questions, you just want to be like, yo, just give me the mic. Let me go. <laughs> I actually, this is fun for me. I have a show called what matters most. We've done over 650 of these and the so guests many. have yet to figure. I know. And all these unbelievable people keep coming on the show. It's mind-boggling. Uh, we've had the president of Mexico, Vicente Fox, spiritual leaders like Simon. Marianne Williamson's been on a ton. She was running for president. Andrew Yang, who's really cool. Wow, Andrew um, Yang is really cool. Not to get political for a second. I wouldn't have voted for him, but he made a very good impression on me. I wouldn't have voted for him either. Uh, I like Bernie or Elizabeth. Bernie first. and But Yang came on a few times. He was funny and fun. You fucking had, rule, man. You <laughs> it's, it's, I can't believe it's the ask you never know. And then uh, Garrison Keeler and wow. music folks. I just did Peter Yarrow from Peter, Paul, and Mary way before your time. Probably well, No, 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 no. That's that's awesome. That's He's, very cool. He wrote Puff the Magic Dragon. We stayed up. We did it like started like 1130. We were up yak until one in the morning. And it's just fun. I'm curious. I think if you're listening to this, be curious, ask questions, keep an open heart and mind, keep your thumb out, say yes, and you're going to have an incredible life. And to take a cue from you, don't hang out with the people that don't get you. Find your tribe and your crew, people that like who you are. Maybe a little nonconformist and go have a great life. I think conformity. I am. I'm a bit of a badass. Yeah, be a badass. I think conformity. You know, you don't want to be another brick in the wall. I mean, go out and have your unique experience. You're hurtling through space. You're only here once. Even if you are reincarnated, you're not going to be you again. Thank God. And so, go have a good time. That's. What what a guest! I, I feel like I, I I read the book, and this is one of the things that I loved about the book. Like while reading the book, I felt like you were kind of just vibing as as you were writing the book, and that's what made it so easy to fly through. Yeah. And now it's just I feel like you're just vibing. You're a guy who just vibes, and it's always good vibes. I love that. Oh, I love you guys. I am a guy that's just vibing. I don't I don't know shit. I don't have a plan. If I try to make a plan, the universe blows it to smithereens. So I just keep saying what do you want me to do next the book i swear this is true he picks me up we have this incredible adventure throughout the summer it's a love story about the vineyard about my parents about life and of course with this beautiful woman the miracle and then the last night of that summer on my life i have a dream and in it i'm at a theater and the universe says why don't you write a book called hitchhiking with larry david swear to god i woke up Wrote it on a little piece of paper that I still have in a drawer in the vineyard. Walked around with it in my pocket for about two or three weeks going, can I write a book? How do you write a book? So I just started to write. And this thing came out. And then I was, as I was writing it, I just thought I was writing. I never thought it'd be a book. I never thought it'd be a huge bestseller. They might make it into a movie. We'll see. I hope I get invited if they do and oh, that they God, actually send rule. me the check. And then, but it's all been a, like, you got to be kidding me ride. And then I put it out and look at them yakking with a couple new buddies. It's been, it's all over the world. I got a note from Australia once or twice and Europe and the book seems to touch something in people. And so I feel grateful. I was the mailman. I don't know how I did it. I just sort of was standing at the right spot, like a sundial and it just happened, but it was a lot of work, but it was fun. You bear your soul in that, that book really, you, you do. And I think that's people just like that. People like getting a little glimpse into somebody's life, uh, a little glimpse into how somebody feels, especially at like a really vulnerable. Exactly. Time. Exactly. And I wonder that can't always feel good. I'm sure it felt therapeutic, but I would imagine that your most commonly asked question other than like a, something about Larry, I'm, I'm sure that naturally people want to know about the miracle and mm -hmm. then you have to, to maybe discuss something that in that moment you don't want to necessarily discuss. So was there any, um, was, was 
were there negatives to, to being that honest and to sharing that much of yourself? Wow. What a great question. You guys, so all seriousness are really good. I do this for a living on what matters most. I, you guys are good interviewers. That's Thank a great you. question. And the way you phrase it, no one's asked me that. Yes. Well, first we're going to just rewind a tiny bit. So I'm writing this thing and I, a couple times I thought, wow, this is like so honest and real and raw. And I thought to myself, it doesn't matter. No one will ever read it. So I kept going. And then the night before it came out, I thought, holy shit, what have you done? It was too late then. So I thought, well, there's a freedom and transparency. And two, again, I thought, well, probably nine people who know me will read it. And I don't, you don't even know if it's good when it's your own. And then it's all over the world. And I think you did hit it on a key because by being so honest, so vulnerable, especially during the hard things, it gave people to write me these notes, which I could make a book out of. I've gotten countless thousand, maybe I printed some of them for my parents love to read them. It just so authentic. They're like, oh, you shared your heart. Let me tell you my story. So that created a community. Some of those people became good friends. I've got invites all over the world. Hey, if you're ever here, I'd love to take you hitchhike in or we can have a cup of coffee. And then, so there's that. And yeah, everyone asks about the miracle. And at first I started to write, you know, everybody a personal note back and it was too hard. We didn't make it sadly, but then I thought I can't do that. So I tried a couple cut and paste, like I'm going to save that one good answer. And that felt dishonest. So I literally wrote a second book because I've got countless emails. What happened next? And then a third. The second book was Martha's Vineyard Miracles. It's the whole thing, how Larry loved the book, Larry read the book, and all these other, how the book broke big. The third book is called Seven Crazy Days in Maui. And then I ended up in Beverly Hills trying to be Mr. Uh, Music, I mean, uh, film producer, working with Mickey Rourke and some other big stars, put on that costume for, for a little while and decided, nah, that's not me. Took it off give it back to the goodwill. And now here I am talking to you cats. That's super cool. And not to get into like relationship talk or anything. And I have no idea because I did not read the, the follow up books. You seem like the kind of guy I always get mad when people treat a past relationship as like, it didn't work out. Therefore she's, that's a bad person or I was a bad person or whatever. I like to look back on things that didn't necessarily work out as like, that was a good thing, and there was a good thing that just that simply came to an end. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, now I do. You're obviously more advanced than me. You don't need to meditate. I need to keep meditating. <laughs> I, it took me a while because the ego first wanted to make her wrong. It's her fault. And then I had to own the fact that it was a partnership, both in its beauty and its bad, you know, the destruction of it. I look more towards myself for what I didn't bring uh, to it, I didn't have the level that I needed to with this beautiful person who I love more than ever. If she ever hears this, I have nothing but the greatest love for her, and I always will. I'm so grateful because here's how I met her. I, again, say yes. A guy who used to be in the music business wanted to play me songs. I always said yes. He lived in San Diego. Songs were okay. Ended up becoming a friend. He used to stay. I had this big house in the woods in Nashville. Why not? I got plenty of room. Later on, I get out of the music business. He's house-sitting this mansion in San Diego on the ocean in uh, Del Mar. I go out there for a few days, I think. And that's in the days of MySpace before you guys were born. And it was a big <laughs> thing. It's like a lost civilization. So I uh, put on a blog. Oh, I'm in Del Mar. It's gorgeous. And a gal who had read my blogs... She goes, I live uh, like four miles away. I, I love your stuff. You want to have coffee? I said, yes. Again, another yes. And then we have this great talk. She goes, you got to meet my roommate. And that became the miracle. And wow. we ended up having this beautiful relationship. And unfortunately, it was like Icarus. We flew too close to the sun and we crashed. But like you wisely said, it was the greatest gift that ever happened. And there, you have to just accept that life has things, and sometimes you learn the hard way and the beautiful way, the good way, and uh, sometimes you learn the loving, pleasant way. So, but that's called humanity and being human, and there's no escaping it. And why would we want to? Here we are. 
But if she ever hears this, I adore her. The books, the second book is hard because everyone wanted book two, like more hitchhiking with Larry David. Or if it was the Beatles, I want to hold your other hand now. I mean, people like there's like 19 Fast and Furious episodes, you know, movies, because God forbid we do something new and creative. We'd have to use our brain. But, you know, so give me more the same. I don't want to think. Give me my big gulp. And so. This is, you know, but to get back to your core point, it was it was beautiful, beautiful catharsis to write it, to share it, and everything that comes along, good, bad, or indifferent, is for our greater good, and we just have to embrace the gift and see what the gift has to give us and teach us. If, if glasses were sold that allowed one to to see the world through your lens, man, I would buy a thousand and a thousand more as backups just in case. <laughs> I also think There's like a the big, idea. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah. the million dollar idea. I also think like a big part of like why I and so many other people like this book is like I bet so many people have the fantasy of like when they're like experiencing some rough times or feeling re- really vulnerable, like just dropping everything and sort of like aimlessly wandering around until something finds them or they find something. And like I, f- I feel like I probably wouldn't have the, uh, you know, the, like the balls or whatever you want to say to like, to do that oh, yeah. or to like, to, to, to have that sort of like, like freedom or, you know, dis disattached to everything in their lives for a, at least a little period of time. And you did that and it led to something amazing that changed your life. Well, and you, God, you, you really nail it. And I would encourage everyone listening. Sometimes if what you're doing isn't working or for me in the music business, I was printing money, but I was so bored. I was going to hang myself and I had to step back without knowing the next thing. Cause my mind kept saying, what's next? What's next? Then what, why would we stop? You know, we're making good money. That's the American religion. So I broke from that. And I just think it's essential to get off the wheel like John Lennon did and yeah. watching the wheels go round and round and just, you had to let it go. Obviously he let a lot more go as a beetle, but you step back and you take a breather, you get out of the matrix, you get off the carnival wheel and you take stock and then you go, Hey, it's okay. Maybe you'll write a book or you'll start a business. There's a million ideas. Uh, just, I think it's important. And I'm so glad I did. I had no idea it would end up the way it did. It was, it's a great, great unfolding, but I think it's a good idea because it goes by so fast. And sometimes you're climbing the ladder and then you get to the top and it's the wrong wall or whatever. You just think, what did I do? So take stock. You're young or at any age. So many people I know have so much money, but they just can't stop what they're doing, even though they hate it. It's like a compulsive behavior. They're terrified of the unknown that their mind needs to know. And that's sadly a terminal disease. So you, you just said that in the music industry, you were so bored, you're going to hang yourself. So of course going to follow up with asking how cool it was to be in the music industry. <laughs> uh, what do, I, I know that you were an executive in the music industry. I don't know exactly what you did, but in trying to find out, I saw that there was a connection between you and one of my weird idols, David Foster. Yeah. So like, you well, know, you, you know, and are friends with David Foster. I knew him and we were friendly. I, if he saw me right now, he would probably remember me. He might also say, God, you got a lot older, which is a sad recurring theme. No. <laughs> and it's funny. I knew two David Fosters, one, the film producer, sadly, who just passed away. who was a film uh-huh. mentor who, who did the getaway and the mask of Zorro and some other great films. But the music producer, David Foster, when I was just a lowly nobody and just starting out in the music business, he came to this multi-million dollar studio our company had built to record some music for a film. And everybody was like, don't talk to him. Don't look at him. You know, I didn't know if that was like biblical, if I would turn to a pillar of salt or something. So in a very funny, trying to get fired, smart assy way, <laughs> I've never told anyone this story. Oh, I'm on the air. Here's the end of my career. I put in the bathroom a sign with an arrow, and it said David Foster shit here. And so, That's like, awesome. with a heart next to it. And then I'd watch, and he went in there, and he fucking laughed his ass off, came out with the sign, and said, who the fuck put this here? And I said, I did. Your Highness. 
And and it was a bonding moment. And I thought, all right, these guys are going to, if the, you know, the boss man had found out, he might have fired me. Actually, the main boss loved me, so I could do no wrong. And we're still friends all these years later. So David, and, and then me and my young, infinite, ignorant wisdom said, hey, man, I'm thinking of coming out to L.A. someday. I'd never been. If I ever do, can I give you a call? I mean, what the fuck? What, so can I, I ask what year this was? Or like, oh, roughly? yeah, that would have. That would have been, I'm not good with years and time. Let's see. Probably 86, 87. So oh, he was huge. Yeah, that is prime he was like Foster. At the height. No, that's why we were not, supposedly, he didn't say it, but they were like, don't even look at him and shit. And he shows up in his customary warm-up pants and everything. Of course, I played piano, so I knew every song he did, every note for note. I wasn't that good, but I could play his shit. I still play. I played professionally for a long time before I got into the business side of it, which ruins everything. So... He said, yeah, definitely call, because we'd had this cool rapport. Um, so he gives me a number. And sure enough, this company collapses uh, because of the guy who was in. One guy was, like, terrible. They give me a pile of money. So I wander out to L.A. to sleep on some couches, because some people in Nashville slept on my couch. By the way, this is long before I made any money. I had, like, the tiniest shithole apartment ever. Mm-hmm. I was coming up. So, and this is my dumbness. It was, like, a Saturday and so I call the number, thinking I'll leave a message, because it was probably like the business. And I go, hello. And somebody picks up and goes, hello. And I said, hello, uh, is David around? And he said, this is David. And I just blurted out, wait, you gave me your home number? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, yeah, Big mistake, who's this? Pal. He's like, who's this? And I was like, uh, you know, it's like almost famous where I wanted to go, oh, this is William. You know, when he did yeah. his voice deeper. So I said, oh, hey, you probably don't remember me. This is Paul Dolman. I was back at 16th Avenue Sound. I was the tall. He said, yeah, the tall, funny guy. And he's like, yeah. I said, yeah. He said, what's up? I said, I came out. And you gave me the number. And he said, oh, oh, how cool. He said, what are you up to today? And I said, nothing. He says, you want to come hang at the studio? I'm getting the um, test pressing back on my new record. And it's got the Olympic Winter Olympic theme on it. I'd love to hear what you think. <laughs> I fucking, I think I fainted. And then when I woke back up, he's like, hello, you there? You know, and then so I, got back. I said, yeah. So I drive out to Malibu and spent a day at his place hanging. Like he had a white piano in there. I think Streisand call, Burt Backrack, some other folks. Jesus. It's in heaven, man. The guy was so freaking cool. <laughs> and then at times I'd run into him or talk to him and. I remember once I was at a movie theater with my girlfriend in Nashville, and there he was with Linda Thompson, who he's married to at the time. And he's like, hey, what's up? And we start talking. And he had taken time off. He got burnt out. He stopped. And I said, what are you up to these days? Because he was maybe going to produce films. And he said, well, I kind of got back in. And I said, what are you working on? He's like, well, I'm doing Whitney Houston, Streisand, Peter Cetera. And then I couldn't help myself. So I said, I couldn't help myself. I said, any big names? And so he burst out laughing. <laughs> he burst out laughing. And then I ended up going to the BMI Awards with him and so I, and his family. And I sat next to his mother. I'll always remember this. And I asked her a million questions about what he was like growing up and everything. It was really, really cool. And then I saw him once in Malibu. And I, I don't have the number now. And I would never call him up. If I saw him, I would hope he remembered me. But he, he's a great guy. But in the music business, what I did after that, I wandered around again. I went out west in L.A. and then came back and started a company that basically just tried to put people together. That's all I need, knew to do. So, that's, And it worked. It took a while, that, but it worked. That's super cool. What, what I love about David Foster is there's a lot of producers, especially nowadays, where you hear a song and you know, um, for example, like, well, this was produced by Jack Antonoff and you can just hear a lot of things that maybe like habits, uh, that, that certain producers fall into, but there are a couple producers and David Foster is one of them that just in their majesty, you hear how big and massive and how great the song is that you're like only David Foster, like uh, David Foster and Mutt Lang are probably like the only two I can think of where you're like, this had to have been done by David Foster. And basically like the, the, like the, the most grand eighties sounding things were done by David Foster, which is 
pretty nuts because everybody was trying to do the biggest, uh, craziest stuff in the eighties. Obviously that's kind of what the eighties the are, are known for. So we just discussed that. Like sometimes you climb up a wall and you find that it was the wrong one to, to quote one Miley Cyrus or to paraphrase one Miley Cyrus. There is a lot of like virtue in climbing up a wall though, you know, of like pursuing these things, even if it not, even if the end result isn't exactly what you wanted, like it's super cool that in your pursuit of the music industry, you end up forging this relationship and having these incredible stories. And you, I'm sure you wouldn't trade those for anything. No. And it's in the climbing Miley's right. She's a great Oracle of wisdom here. And I never thought in my life I'd say that sentence. So <laughs> Someday, compared with Seneca and Socrates, another, the great Miley Cyrus, tattoo queen. I knew her dad, Billy Ray, by the way. So that's another story. But I worked with everybody back in there then. And and it might have been even if I was serving them drinks and I was doing a banquet waiting gig. So, but uh, we won't go there. But you're right. It's in the climbing. And I'm going to tell you guys a couple secrets here and your audience how to be happy. Just enjoy the process. There is no there, there. That's bullshit. That's a lie. You never get there. And if you do, you get bummed out because you're done. You get there when you're done here. So enjoy the process and don't try to make it anywhere. Just have fun. If you want to do music, love playing music. I wrote a book because it's fun. I wrote all, I've written six now. They're all, it was fun to do it. It's hard, but I didn't write it so I would become something bigger or people. You know, in high school would say I should have been nicer to him, you know, or something stupid. It's or get more likes or followers and just go do it for love and fun. Because in the end, you nothing outside of yourself ever gives you anything. It just activates a feeling inside of yourself. So rather than go to all that trouble, just activate the feeling in the process. Have fun. Have fun with yeah. this. Say yes. Get out of there. That's such good advice because everybody always chases this thing that they have like this vision of in their head. And when you get there, and even if you do get there or you don't get there, but even when you do get there, it's oftentimes not what you thought it would be. You, you never want to get there. You right. want you you want to keep it a moving target. And I think that it can be easy to just once you get like arrive at, at this thing and say, well, now I don't have peace of mind or now I don't have as much money as I want. Or now I like, now I don't have everything I want. And if my brain was making everything about this and achieving, it didn't give me everything. Right. Was it worth it? And that's where we get to my buddy depression. <laughs> and I think that as long as I don't know, like I'll always have multiple things, always, uh, just I'll, I'll always keep it a moving target and never it's like, like you don't you wouldn't go to the gym and say hey I want to be able to to bench press 150 pounds and then once you bench press 100 like I'm done you say all right my body's all done no now you want to to keep it going which uh, was a a very strange reference for me to make I could I could have used different yeah. examples well, I mean McConaughey said that at, during his Oscar speech too I I, I think it was his Oscar speech uh, a couple of years ago where he was like 10 years ago, I said, my idol, I hope that my idol would be me in 10 years. Oh, right. And now that I'm here, I know that's never going to be true because I'm always going to be wanting more. I'm always going to be wanting to do something else. And I'm never going to be satisfied with who I am right now. And I think that's like a, it's, it's like a good way to look at things, but also like enjoy, like, like, uh, like Paul said, just like enjoy the process and, and don't be so bogged down with like trying to get somewhere else. What, mm. what kind of music? What kind of music do you listen to, uh, Paul? I it sounds a, cliche. A very big, yeah, but I I have always loved just great songs. Even back in the day when I did it, or in, in all different venues, if I hear something, even if I don't not crazy about a band or a lot of what they do or an artist, but that one thing is like, whoa, that's great. I, I'm all over the spectrum. I play piano still for fun, not professionally. And I'll play everything. You know, how do you not love a song just from the writing for like somewhere over the rainbow or moon river? Yeah. And then the Beatles Beatles are my all time favorite. Same. It's there's something, I mean, that's they're on Mount Rushmore. They're at another level and they basically inspired everybody who, who, you know, goes up there, but I like Prince and Madonna's got some good stuff. I used to love Foster's stuff. Uh, Adele is crushing it. Uh, you know, there's a country song every now and again. that's just like, whoa, 
this is just good. And even I still don't mind Chopin's Nocturnes and something from Beethoven, like Moonlight Sonata, classic Irish folk music. I'm all over the map, but music, I put it on every day. Like this morning, though, I was listening to Peter, Paul, and Mary because I just interviewed Peter. And I'm like, this God, the songs are beautiful. Blowing in the Wind by Dylan and yeah. Leaving on a Jet Plane, written by John Denver, and 500 Miles, an old sad folk tune. I'll take it. Just yeah, yeah I, I can't imagine not living without music. It'd be the saddest thing. Yeah, because, I mean, some in speaking to you, I get some... Um, you want to you wanna listen to a song and then hit pause halfway through it and have a half an hour discussion about what's working in the song and why it's speaking to you, which is uh, a, an annoying thing that, that I'll do with my friends. But also I'm getting some like you could put just put on a jam band, smoke some weed and turn your brain off. <laughs> yeah, just get out. Drop, you know, just drop out for a while. I mean, and I'll tell you, the cool thing about meditation is it'll do exactly that for you, too. And all you do for everyone saying, well, what's meditation? Because I just answered this question on another show I did. Meditation is just simply closing your eyes, sitting in a chair. You don't have to be uncomfortable or try to act like a Buddha. Uh, Just watch your thoughts. Just watch your thoughts. And they will be absolutely insane. They'll also be inspiring. They'll be creative. Just watch them like clouds or cars going by. Oh, okay. And then here's the cheat code. You understand that what you are, not who, because you're not a who. What you really are is watching. That's the watching thing. That's the thing that came in. That's the thing that goes out. That's the one that just observes everything. That's the one that gets lost in the craziness when we completely forget. And we think we're three scrounging life forms here trying to pay the rent and date the girl or, you know, just get from point A to B, make the next green light. I mean, we can really dial this thing into the micro. But really, we're this essence, this cool thing that's roaming and wandering beyond time. And a fraction of it happens to be right here as me, you, and you having a conversation. And isn't that fun? Because if we didn't fracture ourselves, we couldn't do this. We'd all just be some infinite light without time. And apparently that got boring. So they created polarity, or it did, and deliberately forgot itself. So it could watch an orange imbecile make a fool of himself every day on TV and then laugh or be scared of it. Yeah, that guy sucks. Uh, Paul Samuel Dolman. You like the way I tied that in? A little bit of subtle, little throwing a little shade on the orange one, the orange menace. And Lord, forgive me. I'm about to get political for a second. Please. You are forgiven, my son. Father, what's his name? The musician will forgive. Father John Missy. That's right. You said said exactly uh, earlier on the way I've approached the selection, which is I like Bernie and I like Warren and I do prefer uh, Bernie. It is. Are you at all frustrated by the the infighting and the like? Some Bernie supporters obviously will say, "Well, if you like Warren, you're evil." And I've gotten a sense that a lot of Warren supporters will tell you, "If you like Bernie, you're evil." And that just doesn't really jive with the sort of positive energy we're trying to put out there as we find our replacement to the orange imbecile in general in life. Now, like everybody has to pick one thing and endorse everything about that one thing where I just feel like at some point it's been lost that like you can like this guy or you can like Elizabeth Warren. You can like this woman, but not stand for like all of their policies. You say, I wish that they would change this something or like, I'm willing to concede this thing just to meet in the middle for like the greater good. And for some reason, nobody fucking does that. Yeah, anymore. There's definitely things about Warren that I prefer to, to Bernie. And there are things that about Bernie that I don't think are perfect, but I don't know. I've never in my life been like this candidate is absolutely everything I want now. So we're getting to maybe too political. I don't know if anyone cares about that, but I don't know. I just felt refreshed by you saying like, I really enjoy both Bernie and Warren and uh, I prefer one of them. And that's, let's just have some nice positive vibes and energy and just take the, really take the Dolman approach to life. Uh, you said that you said something was this cool thing. And in my notes, I just wrote down Paul Samuel Dolman, you're this cool thing. It's it's been great speaking to you. Are you around late July? 
Are you going to be able I'll to be there? I'll be there, and I want to go back because I'm glad you brought up politics. You know, if we don't talk politically or if we avoid it, it's like saying we're on a big ship like the Titanic, but we're all going to avoid the captain's thing, and it'll just we'll find its way. We'll leave it to fate. We're going to end up on the iceberg or on the rocks. And by the way, both of what you said about politics and candidates is beautiful. It's intelligent and nuanced. You're not part of a cult that wears a red hat and marches with mouths open, breathing, lockstep. You know, like some zombie zombie apocalypse. The thing what you said was beautiful. And by the way, don't trust what the online bullshit because ninety nine percent of that could be robots trying to start fights. Here's right. the thing, and the infighting is because television is a total piece of shit that turns everything into Jerry Springer, Honey Boo Boo meets you know some other bullshit Survivor. Vote them off the island, crapola, and the questions are inane and stupid, and people's attention span is shorter than the average gnat. So, and I mean that in a nice sort of positive way. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I mean, let's get political because hey, the fucking planet is on fire, and if we don't do something about it, you you know, the young folks are going to be living in a bad Mel Gibson movie or something, <laughs> you know. So, let's you know. And by the way. Come on. Why can't we have what every other industrialized country has? College yes. education that's free and affordable. That's good for everybody. Uh, medical that's free and affordable for everybody, right? Somehow we have $800 billion a year to pour down the defense budget toilet to build shit so a few people get rich and we can blow up other countries' brown people. Or we could take care of things here. And then everybody wins. There shouldn't be hungry babies. Prison shouldn't be full of people of color who happen to be caught with a doobie while Wall Street cleans out everybody's pension fund, gets a bonus. Come on, we could do this. I'm not talking about flying backwards with our eyes closed. I'm not talking about defying physics. It's like if we didn't have jet planes in this country, but they did in Europe, and we were saying, why can't we have jets? And they say, you want to fly? That's insane. Come on. A morons of the world awake. All right, that's my political creed in this time. And please, God, anyone who listens to this, I don't care who the fuck you vote for, but sign up and vote. And if you're stupid enough to vote for Trump, God bless you. I'm going to pray for your heel and bless your heart. That is an underrated thing. I was, I was, I'm not, not big into that, that praying thing you were talking about. But I was also like, I, I hope people get better. Like that's a, that I, I hope the people who did vote for Trump could recognize their mistake, probably feel extremely terrible about it and see what they can do to get better. But I'll say this, man, you are not even, you're not even ready for the hug that, that you're going to get from us when we all meet in, <laughs> this in is late July. Be so awesome. Do yeah. When you were saying all that stuff, like Pete and I were high five and we're doing finger guns at each other. We're dancing around. Like Fuck you're yes. just on speed, man. Let's do this thing. Come on. All right, let's and by the way, yeah, let's have we're going to have fun and and honestly anyone who is following the cult, they got there because of their life. So I don't hate them. If I had had their life too and God only knows what it was, I would be exactly like them. I'm not a superior life form. Granted I come from another star in another galaxy, XR9. And we're not allowed to lie about that. But all life forms throughout the multi-galaxies are equal as the creed is on XR. So go within, go without. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff. I just did a show on Cirrus 7, not the uh, Cirrus radio, but Cirrus, literally the stars. Oh, Cirrus. Excellent show on cosmic reality and the quantum fields. But that's a whole other intergalactic subject. Who am I to be yakking about that? I'm looking forward to hanging with my brothers in July. Yo, oh, you're the yeah. fucking man. I can't even... <laughs> can't, like, I know what you look like, and I can hear your voice and everything, but like, you don't even fucking exist, man. Like, how... <laughs> yeah. How, how does something like you even happen? You're the best. Please don't listen to like the intro to this interview uh, when the episode comes out because it's just going to be us like shamelessly gushing over you for like 20 minutes. Yes. When is it going to come out? Will it come out in my lifetime or is this a posthumous type of show? Thing? Actually, we're not even oh. recording. We just did this for us to yeah. just talk to you. I, you know, that's I would say I've done actually 1100 shows. We've only put 600 out. <laughs> a lot of them. I just no, I'm kidding. No, this will be out uh, tomorrow. Oh, my God. The immediacy of youth. Yes. There it is. There it is. And I want to apologize for not shaving. But, hey, I didn't know it was going to be so amazing. Dude, 
amazing times. Thank you so much, Paul Samuel Dolman. Uh, I mean, if, if, if everybody doesn't want to read all your shit after this, I'm not even going to plug your shit because if everybody doesn't want to check out more of your stuff after this, then they, then they're no friends of ours. I'll tell you that. And I think that the, the Bruntouchables, which is our, our fan base, there's dozens of them will really want to dig your stuff. So very, very cool. Thank you so much for talking to us. Like, I feel better about life. I feel better about myself. I feel like I just got a massage. Like my back pain has gone away. Thank you for everything. And we look forward to seeing you in July at beach road weekend festival. You guys are phenomenal. This is as much fun as I've ever had. And just, and the ones who don't want to follow my stuff, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's what Jesus meant when he meant that, that more than anything. If you don't get it, whatever, go to paulsamueldolman.com and uh, definitely dive in and follow these brothers, everybody. And I'm going to put this in front of my my flock, uh, my yes. cult, and hopefully they'll check you guys out because you guys are phenomenally fun and, although humble, are very, very good at what you're doing. What a guy. Just Paul. You guys are amazing, and I'm not just saying that. You should hear me when I don't like somebody. Yeah. Well, I did. I heard you talk about Trump. (laughs) I heard you talk about Trump for a second. (laughs) Uh, I raised him since he was a kid. He's just gone off the rails. All right. Well, thanks again. And we look forward (laughs) to seeing you guys. Rock on. Uh Uh-huh. A free. So tell me what's wrong with the feeling I'm a flower, you're a bee It's much older than you and me I'm in love, I'm alive I belong to the stars and sky Let's forget who we are for one night We're not What's wrong?